0: Well, we're in this series written in red, the revolutionary ideas of Jesus. Jesus did not come to this earth in order to make everybody feel happy and comfortable. And, and if you were really excited about the status quo, you probably weren't gonna be very excited about Jesus. Um, he, he taught some things that were revolutionary. He, he, he taught ideas that were revolutionizing the, the concepts of the day. And I would venture to say even the concepts of today. Because as he was sharing his ideas, his words led the way and words change worlds. We've been saying that every week. We'll continue to say that. If you want to change the world that you live in, change the words that you say. And so Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he gives this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon on record for him and in matthew we find matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 we find the most comprehensive text of this sermon it's referenced in other in others of the gospels but it, it's most comprehensive here in the book of matthew and he's he's telling them hey um I'm, I'm changing the way you think about things but when he does he does it from a, a place of positivity he he uh, I think that's an important statement to make because it's easy, and in our world today, many things begin with a negative. It's, hey, uh, this is horrible, and so it's probably always going to be horrible, and so this is kind of the best way we can figure out to not be as horrible, even while still horrible. Very uplifting. Jesus is teaching, and he says in Matthew 5, 3, blessed. He starts off with Blessed. This is, this is, I want to be blessed. And so you've got my attention, Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he, he teaches us in this verse that the first work of the Holy Spirit is the work of conviction in our life. Pastor Chris did an amazing job this morning, and he's talked about being convicted by the Holy Spirit in his life. Conviction from the Holy Spirit does not say you are wrong. It says you have done wrong, and here's how to get yourself right again. Here's how to fix the problem that, you've, that you're facing in your life. So the first work of the Holy Spirit is conviction. The first work of grace in your life and in mine is the work of repentance, That's how we realign. We say, I'm sorry, God, for how I've gone astray, how I've done something wrong, and I'm getting myself back in alignment with you by repenting and by turning away. Repentance means a turning away. It's not just that I'm sorry. It's a turning away from the thing that we've done that was wrong. And so last week, we continued with his sermon, and we learned that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning shall be comforted. And we learn learned that mourning is an external expression of internal grief. It's the thing on the inside that we're feeling, but unless we mourn, unless we allow expression on the outside, then it's more difficult for comfort to come into our life. But when we do, when we express on the outside and address the hurts in our life, that's when we can receive comfort and we can heal in our life. Addressed hurts, heal. The thing that you don't allow to be known is, is very difficult to heal from, and it can affect you for the rest of your life. But if you will address it, it can heal. And today we're talking for Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth now every week we've defined the term blessed blessed means supremely blessed or happy fortunate well off this is something that every one of us would would appreciate I, I wouldn't mind being defined by any one of those words or any one of those concepts and then he says blessed are the meek meek the word there in the Greek means mild not spicy Blessed are the not spicy. Figuratively speaking, it's the humble. So he's saying blessed are those who are mild in spirit, okay? And then what happens? What's the result of this mildness, of this not spiciness? It's they shall inherit the earth. Now, the concept there is they are an heir of the earth. There's an inheritance in the earth for them. Now, this is a revolutionary teaching. It's a revolutionary idea. Because when you think about people that are going to inherit the earth, people that are going to gain influence, gain power, gain some some level of authority in the earth, you don't think of not spicy people. You don't think of mild people. You think of people who are, who are making themselves known. You think of people who are setting themselves apart. You think of people who are loud. The, the people in our world today who are, who are trying to make a difference. Let's say they're trying to make a difference in politics. Uh, all of them are running ads. All of them are trying to get noticed. All of them are saying things in order to, be, to, to spice up the dialogue, in order for somebody to go, oh, I know that you exist. If you, if you watch the news right now, you're going to see two minutes of news and 45 minutes of ads. And, and if you watch a show on television, you're going to, the, the show is actually like 30 minutes long, and the other 30 minutes is advertising because companies want to be noticed. And everything in the world today says, if you want to make a difference, you first have to be noticed. If you want to make a difference, you've got to push yourself out there. And there are people in our world who are amazing self-promoters. Amazing self-promoters. They do a good job of putting themselves out there. They get noticed. They are spicy enough to where everybody knows that they exist, whatever the meal may be. They're out there. And so it's a revolutionary thing to say, no, the mild, the humble will inherit the earth. They're going to gain some kind of influence, some kind of power, some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, rulership, if you will, in the world. And it could be that his listeners said, well, wait a minute. If we were in Rome, if we were Romans, maybe this would make some sense. Uh, Why doesn't Jesus go on with himself and go to Rome and preach this to Caesar and to those in power in Rome? But we are the servants of Rome. So how does this make any sense to us? And in fact, I as a young man really struggled with the Beatitudes. I struggled with it because I think I came out of my mother's womb wanting to make a difference in the world. I always have wanted to make a difference somehow. And the people that I admired, the people that I looked up to, men and women, were men and women who who had made themselves known, who were known, who, who the world knew that they existed, the, the, the community knew that they existed. They were, not, they were not people who, when I read, the meek inherit the earth, I... I think meekness and meekness seems to me to be timid. It seems to me to be afraid somewhat, and maybe kind of in hiding. and And the people that I was looking at, saying, "Wow, I I think I'd like to be like them. I'd like to make a difference like them." They weren't timid. They weren't hiding. They weren't uh, afraid. they, They seemed to be bold and courageous. and And then I tried to put that with scripture, and I said, "Well." The Lord has called us to be bold men and women of faith. He, he's called us to be witnesses for him. So to stand out in the world and testify of his goodness and his grace. And, and, and uh, he's called us to raise good kids and have good families and be strong spouses. He's, he's called, us to, called us to lead companies and to lead ministry and to lead churches and to, to make a difference in the world around us. And we're supposed to hide at the same time. We're supposed to be mild at the same time. We're supposed to be meek or timid, in my opinion, at the same time. But here's where the the conflict with the Bible came in for me in this regard, because it's really hard to discount what's being said and say, well, it doesn't really mean that when it's Jesus doing the teaching. It's like, okay, I believe him over here, but if he's going to say that, he, he should have counseled with me prior to making that statement. I would have set him straight. He should have sent me his notes and let me do some editing on his sermon. All young preachers need an editor for their sermons. Some of us who've been doing it for a minute should too. But Jesus didn't ask my opinion before giving this sermon. And so if Jesus is saying it, maybe there's something I need to learn about meekness that I did not already know. And here's what I did not understand. here's our big idea today. Controlled strength ultimately rules. Controlled strength ultimately rules. You, you think about strength. You think about power and, and the, what has power. So it doesn't matter what kind of car you drove in today. Your car has power within it. It, The engine is a powerful thing, and so if we all got in your car today and we you 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 know you rev the engine and maybe you have a three cylinder engine or you've got a five hundred cylinder engine, but you rev that engine, and then we we look around and we realize that something that we expect and just take for granted to be there is missing. We might ask you, "Hey, where's the steering wheel?" And if you say, well, you know what? I don't really believe in steering wheels because I feel like it just just restricts the potential of the vehicle. If if you have the steering wheel, I mean, you think about it, it's got so much potential in it. But if I put a steering wheel in it, it's going to restrict the potential of the steering wheel, and I don't want to do that because I want it to live up to its full potential. So I'm gonna. I drive a car with no steering wheel. My response. I don't know about anybody else, but my response is, you're going to do it all by yourself, because because power uncontrolled is damaging. It's damaging ultimately to the things around it. It's damaging to itself, and if you're riding in that car, it's going to damage you as well. Strength that's controlled. Ultimately rules. And I have three thoughts for us today. Thought number one is this. Meekness is controlled strength. It's controlled strength. Because meekness is defined as mild or, or humble, it's offered often pictured, at least in my mind, as this like super nice guy, super nice girl, who is kind of weak, kind of uh, get-along, just go along with whatever and not really going to make any waves I'm just kind of kind of sit back and you guys do whatever you're going to do and I'll just kind of tag along with you anything goes kind of person and and that's what I was picturing when I was picturing a meek individual but when I look at the scripture and how scripture defines certain people as meek I have to I have to question my understanding because the Bible says in Numbers chapter 12, verse number 3, it says, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So, so Moses is the meekest man on earth. And he leads Israel out of slavery into the promised land. The first thing that he has to do is have an understanding of God. And so when the bush is burning in the desert... He walks over to it, and then when it starts talking to him, he doesn't just run away. He has communication with God. He throws down a staff, and it becomes a serpent, and then he picks it up again under the direction of God. This is not something that a timid and afraid person would generally do. Then he goes to one of the most powerful people on planet Earth at the time, looks at them face to face, and says, let God's people go. That's not what a timid person, a backward person person that too afraid of their own shadow does, and then he leads Israel out of Egypt, he leads them from a place of slavery to a place that they are their own independent nation with laws and and, and culture and everything that comes along with being a nation and he leads them through all of the transitions that have to be made there. He fights wars. He deals with, with uh, people that are rebelling against him. He, he does all of these things as a powerful man of God and yet he's described as the meekest person, the meekest man on earth. Then you go to the New Testament. And it even goes up a notch because Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is speaking and he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. So the savior of the world, the one who has all power and authority given to him, the one who came to earth willingly to pay the price for your sin and mine, self describes meekness. He said, I am meek. Now, both are role models, and one of them isn't even a role model. Moses is a great role model. We are told, be like Jesus. So, I mean, he takes role model to the next level, and both of them are role models in our life, and both possess great power. You say, well, what kind of power did Moses actually have? Well, one time when Korah and his gang rose up against Moses and started talking bad about him... Moses prayed, and God opened up the earth and swallowed up everybody that was talking bad about him and Moses, and uh, along with Korah and his and his bunch. That's a little freaky. I think I'd pay attention. Okay, God's going to do that uh, when Moses prays. Hey, Moses, wanting coffee? <laughs> How do you take your Starbucks? Um, Jesus could call down angels from heaven at any point and take out whatever he wanted to. In fact, he, his kind of authority was such that when the Roman soldiers came to arrest him, they just said, hey, we're here to arrest Jesus. And he said, I am he. And when he said, I am he, they all fell down. He, he didn't. Even, scripture doesn't even say, even say he got up. He, he didn't even like twitch his wrist or anything. He just said, I am he, and they all fell down. He could have taken any of them out in any particular moment. They both had amazing power and strength Uh, granted to them by God, but what differentiated them from others in the world that had great power and authority was that before Moses prayed for the ground to open up, first he wept for the people. First he said, God, I I don't want to see this happen. Is there some way to help change Korah's mind? Is there some way to to fix this problem in a way that, that it would not cause destruction of anyone? Before Jesus... One day we'll judge the world. He first gave his life for the world. But before he, before he came and used his power to, to, to discipline, if you will, he first used his power to save. Both have the ability to strike out with incredible efficiency, but both controlled their actions to make the greater difference. And when you read this passage of Scripture, keep in mind that Greek culture dominated the, the thought and the writing at this time. And Greek culture characterized meekness as power under control. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that, that works. That works in the kingdom of heaven because when you and I become believers, the Holy Spirit becomes an indwelling presence in our life. And as an indwelling presence in our life, you and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit as much as we will allow the Holy Spirit to control us, to lead us and to guide us. Meekness is power under control. So as a believer, the meek, one who is meek can be a rich person that is meek, a poor person that is meek. It can be someone who seems to have earthly authority that is meek, and it can be someone who seems to have no earthly authority at all that is considered meek. They can all be meek because meekness means that whenever I have the ability uh, to strike out against someone, I may temper that response. When, when bitterness would rise up and I, and I want to go crush something, Instead, I, I, I refuse bitterness and I allow mercy to rise up in my life when the desire to do harm comes up in my world and your world too because, because that's what happens whenever somebody is, cuts me off in traffic for no reason and, and I want to not be meek. I want to say things and sometimes we do in the privacy of our own vehicle. Well, don't judge me. I know better than that. You, you don't want to be meek. You want to you take control of the situation. And then there's times when, when you have the strength. You have the power. You have the ability to, to move situations. Or leverage an, a situation for your own benefit. And instead of doing it for your own benefit. You leverage it for the good the best good, the good of the whole. It might be the whole of your family. It might be the whole of your business. It might be the whole, it it could be the whole of any particular area of interest in your life, but it's for the whole that you do something good, that you leverage that strength, that power. You can do all things through Christ within your creation. That's the strength that you have. But we choose to apply that strength where it offers the greatest benefit. And at its core, meekness is lived out in our relationship with other people. It's lived out in community. Poor in spirit is our relationship to God. Mourning is our relationship with our own internal feelings. Meekness is our relationship with our community. And that brings us to thought number two. That meekness is maturity in action. Maturity in action. And it aligns with Christ's call to see ourselves accurately. Be poor in spirit means to see ourselves accurately. And so when I'm poor in spirit, I say, here's the strengths that I have, and here's the weaknesses that I have. I don't think more of myself than I should, and I think of myself exactly as I should. And I use the strength that I have to best use. And I try to do what I can to mitigate my weaknesses from affecting those that that's around me. And it takes maturity. It takes maturity for all of us. You think about an infant, a child. They throw a fit whenever they don't get what they want. If they're they're hungry, they throw a fit. If If they're angry, they throw a fit. If they're wet, they throw a fit. If they don't like that toy... They throw a fit. The only response that they know in the world is fit throwing. And, and I think that in some ways, that's kind of how our world is right now. If you want to see a fit, just log on to any social media, media channel of any kind and say anything. And somebody will be happy to throw a fit for you. And on one hand... It's funny and it's humorous, and it's only funny and it's humorous because it is true, but it's also it's also difficult because the more strength we gain in life, the more impacting our fits are. So so you think about a child throwing a fit, and everybody goes, Oh, unless you're the parent, then you're like, oh. But when you're the parent and you throw a fit it now affects your children. And believe me, we all parents in this room understand what throwing a fit as a parent looks like. But then when you're an employer that throws a fit, now it's affecting all of your employees and all of their families. And whenever you're an employee and you throw a fit, then it's affecting everybody around you there. And and the, the more influence you have the more strength you have the more power you have in this world the the more impacting and affecting your fits become and here's the problem the more intense the moment and the longer the delay of gratification the more difficult it is to operate with maturity i, I can be mature when that first person cuts me off in crap in traffic I just drive along, hit my brakes just a minute and continue. And then the second person cuts me off in traffic and I'm like, "Mm." but by the fifth person, I'm on the phone. I'm screaming out the window. My maturity level has dropped dramatically. By the way, that's not a true story about my life. Just FYI. Did you see pastor the other day? He had his head out the window and he was screaming and on the horn. And I think that that's one of the reasons you're seeing what we see on Facebook, on Twitter, and in the news, and everywhere else, is because the intensity of the times has ratcheted up. And the, 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 the gratification that we were all hoping for with COVID, with economic issues, and with many other things has been delayed over and over. And as that happens, it becomes more and more difficult to act with maturity and responsibility, with meekness. And if you look at the the audience that Jesus is talking to right now, they're not too thrilled about this because they've been humbled. They've been humbled by life. They're saying, we are the the servants of Rome. We we are servants and we want to be kings. And you're talking to us about meekness and humility? You're talking to us about, hey, answer softly, turns away wrath. You're talking to us about being kind, about being mild. No, I'm looking for something spicy. I want something that rises up with power that makes a difference. I want somebody that's going to take us from this place to to where we overthrow the Roman government and become our own free nation again. That's what we're looking for. We think that you might be our Savior, our Messiah, but here you are teaching, blessed are the meat. And that don't make no sense. That's what they say in southern Israel. (laughs) So maturity often defers immediate gratification for the purpose of greater gain. I don't go spend that $10 on what I want right now. I invest that $10 so that later on I'll gain more than $10. Maturity defers immediate gratification for the purpose of greater gain. And an earthly Jewish kingdom could not accomplish what the kingdom of God manifest on earth could. And many people today feel like we might be in the same position as these Jewish listeners as it seems like non-believers flourish and have ease and believers are struggling to make sense of the world that you're in And sometimes we can just fall prey to wanting to win in life. I've been there. Uh, I've been there when uh, we've told the story about how a big treat for us as a family was to go to McDonald's and order off the value menu once a week. We would order order off the dollar menu, uh, all four of us, and we would sit there in McDonald's and we would nurse those fries and eat that hamburger slowly because we wanted to make this last as long as possible because we were not coming back till next week because we couldn't afford to come back till next week. And, and there were times whenever I'd, be at the house and I'm not in front of anybody nobody had to know this but I would say to Christy I'm just so frustrated you're working I'm working we're doing everything that we can to make ends meet and and the only thing we can do is go to McDonald's once I don't even want McDonald's I don't even like McDonald's it's just the cheapest food that we can eat somewhere else that we don't make ourselves. and I would throw a fit Then maturity would kick in and I would wait till next Wednesday to go buy McDonald's again. I just want to win for a minute. I just keep getting beat down over and over. I just, is there any area I could win? And sometimes we even build theologies around this. There's two very popular theologies in our world right now. And we swing from one end to the other. Popular teaching says that God chooses us, he saves us, then almost without us realizing it, he uses us to reveal himself to the world that we live in and we live our life according to our own design. We don't even realize that God is using us to reveal his glory to the world. And there's another side of the pendulum that says we have all authority and we have all power, And we must use all authority and all power to bring heaven to earth. And if that's not happening, it's because we're doing it wrong. And so we swing from little responsibility and little authority to all responsibility and all authority, trying to find a place in which we can win. Where can can we win? Because if we're following Christ, we should be winning. There should be a win in here somewhere. And the truth is this. We have some authority now, and we have access to all authority in Christ Jesus. We have some understanding now, and we have access to all understanding in Christ Jesus. The one with all understanding also has all authority. We don't have it all now, but what we do have, we must use wisely. And and I liken this to parents. Many of us who are raising children, we, we have some wisdom that it would be great if they would listen to the wisdom that we have and apply it in their life. Can any parent say amen to that? All right, so so we know that's true. But what we also recognize is that you and I, as much as we might know, we don't know everything. And our children are facing things that we, we never had to face and maybe we will never face in our lives. Our children are going through stuff that, that we don't have all of the understanding around it. And so we can give them a lot of information. We have some knowledge now some authority now but we don't have all of it it doesn't mean that we just abandon ship and say well I can't tell you everything that you will ever need so I'm telling you nothing or I can't I can't save you from every situation you will ever face in life so I'm giving you nothing we don't do that and we don't say I'm going to give you every single thing that I have and act like I know all And son, daughter, I can save you from everything you'll ever experience. Neither are true. We have some, and we have access through Christ for a whole lot more. And Jesus was teaching, you're not powerless. You have strength. Control it. Uncontrolled strength is pride in action. Meekness is maturity in action. Uncontrolled strength says I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want, because I can. Meekness says I could, but I'm going to do what I, I'm going to control the strength that I have in order to benefit the whole. Look at the tenses here. The scripture says the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is, present tense. Those who mourn shall be comforted, future tense. The meek shall Future tense, inherit the earth. So when we see ourselves accurately, and we're poor in spirit, and we live in repentance, the kingdom of God becomes a present reality in our life. If you are in Christ and he is in you, you are living in the kingdom of God right now. You are ambassadors of Christ. You are the embassy of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. And and that is a reality when you live in repentance before God. Now, you don't always mourn. I don't always mourn. But when I do mourn, I find that the Comforter has already gone before me. So when I mourn, I shall be comforted. The Holy Spirit is already there, ready to comfort me. And so I don't have to fear a time of mourning. I don't have to fear grief. For instance, today is my mother's birthday. If I forget to call her today, there will be a future grief in my life. (laughs) I know the Holy Spirit is going before me and he will bring comfort into my world if I have to grieve. I don't plan to, but if I do, I know he's already there. Now I'm making a, a, a joke, but obviously grief can be much heavier than forgetting your mother's birthday. And he's saying, you shall be. When you come to that point of grief, Comfort will be there. And then he says, every desire of the meek will not be realized immediately, but you are an heir to a great inheritance. So there is blessing for the meek on the earth. There is. And you say, is that prosperity gospel? No. That's the words of Jesus right there, written in red. And and he's saying there is an inheritance for you on the earth. Why why can he say that, 1 Corinthians 10, 26? For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So there's nothing on this planet that he does not own. Nothing that he doesn't have authority within. And I want to explain, I'll explain it in closing this way. I know a gentleman, uh, he is no longer as young as he used to be, but as a young man, he got a job, his first job, working at a tow truck company. And this wasn't a tow truck company like uh, they had one truck. They had probably 30, 40 trucks. They did towing all over the South. And, and, um, and so he went to work at that place and, and he would watch people jump in the rigs and, and head off to to, tow the, the, uh, to go on the road and, and find you know cars that needed towing and to take the calls and so on and so forth. And, and that's what he was thinking of when he was thinking, I'm going to go work at this company. But when he got there, he found that he was sweeping a lot. And then he would clean the trucks whenever they came in and use degreaser on them and, and, and work on the trucks and make them clean. And then he would clean the restrooms and he would do all, all the jobs that it seemed like nobody else wanted. And, and the longer that went on, the more frustrated he became. And he started kind of pushing his weight around a little bit, saying, yeah, I I, want to be this, and I want to do that. And he he wanted to know why it was that he couldn't do what he saw other people doing, and he wanted to do it too. And he, he became bitter. But one day as he was sweeping, he tells the story that he suddenly had a revelation. And for the first time, he thought, I'm not like every other employee here. I am unique. And I know you might be thinking, yes, every young person thinks that they are unique and that they are above sweeping the floor or cleaning the bathrooms or whatever. But this young man to finish his statement, his father owned the company. And and he realized all of a sudden in this moment of clarity He said, I'm sitting here sweeping this floor and I'm watching other guys get into the rigs and head out and do what I want to do. But one day they're either going to retire or move on to another position. And they're probably, they may stay in the same kind of world that they're in right now. But one day, today I'm sweeping this floor. But one day I will own everything in this company. All the trucks are mine. All the cash flow is mine. All of these people, should they be here at that time, they will be employees of mine. And he said that day, he felt so different. It changed his spirit. And instead of being prideful, instead of him kind of pushing his weight around, you know my dad owns this company, you know my dad, you know. He said, I developed a sense of meekness. And what he experienced is what I'm teaching you right now. Let your future empower your present. It changed him. You are the heir of Christ on this earth. Now, there's a lot of information. If you go read about meekness, the meek shall inherit the earth, There, you can find a ton of information on meekness. There's not a lot of information on inheritance. What is it that we inherit in the earth? Here's what the scripture says. Jesus overcame the world. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And what he conquered, he gave to you and me as believers. He said, the earth is mine, the fullness thereof. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over hell, it's mine and I give it to you, you inherit it. He said in Acts 1-8, you'll receive power or authority when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So no matter where you go in this world, you will be able to operate on my behalf. You'll be able to operate on my behalf in your family, in your marriage, in your employment, in your career, in your company, in your mission, in your ministry. You'll be able to operate on my behalf. So you don't walk in there thinking, I don't have anything and I'm nobody. You don't walk in there thinking, I've got to prove myself to the world, because there's two things, two ways that you can look at this. The first is this I will be meek so that I can gain an inheritance. I will be meek so that I can gain an inheritance. This is a works based inheritance. If I'm meek enough, then I will inherit this thing. If I can just be lowly and mild enough, then I'll get something from my Father. But the other way to look at this, and I believe the more accurate way to look at this is I am an heir, so will live with meekness. I am going to inherit all of this. And so I will live with meekness. I will be meek because I'm already an heir. That is grace based inheritance. Because of the Father's grace, the heir has nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove to this world. You don't have to speak loud because God, your, your father owns it all. He, he's speaking through you and for you. You don't have to prove yourself because he's already approved of you. That guy didn't get that job because he was the best sweeper the world has ever known. He got that job because his father, 50 rungs up the ladder of the corporate structure, looked at somebody and said, hire my kid. Let him learn how to control himself. Let him learn how to manage his own life and his own emotions. Let him learn how to show up on time. Let him learn how to go home on time. Let him learn how to manage his time. Let him learn how to serve before he lords. Let him learn to be meek before he inherits. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Jesus, you said we are strong and you've called us to be meek. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us in this service right now? What are you saying to each and every one of us as we walk with you and represent you? What are, what are let our hearts and our minds become clear right now as your word penetrates our hearts. We stand with confidence before you. We are your children. You have given us an inheritance. And now you have, you have you've given us a structure in which to live. We don't have to make much of ourselves because you are making much of us. I'm asking you to give us the courage to live with meekness. The confidence to live with meekness. And give us the trust that the inheritance that you'll bring into our life, the value of that inheritance is worth far more than the cost that we will pay. We give you thanks and praise for that in the awesome name of Jesus. And I encourage everyone to say amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship the Lord in closing.